it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Finally, step-by-step premium investment guidance for beginners. Led by... Andrew Sather, and Dave Ahern to decode industry jargon, silence crippling confusion, and help you overcome emotions by looking at the numbers. Your path to financial freedom starts now. All right, folks. Well, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. This is episode 97. Tonight, Andrew and I are going to talk about a list of really unwise financial decisions. Uh, we've put together a list of some things that you should not do if you want to be wise with your money. So, Andrew, why don't you go ahead and talk about our first one, and then we'll kind of go down the list. Yeah, sounds good. Making this list was fun, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> uh, fun because I'm guilty of these just as much as anybody else. I don't like to think that. I don't like to imply that I'm just like the super wealthy dude that doesn't make any mistakes, but you know, I think we can kind of learn from other people sometimes, maybe learn from ourselves sometimes. And we can do some things with our money that uh, you know, when it becomes a money pit, we don't have to fall into those traps. So I think a huge one and by the way, I think a lot of these are pretty controversial. I think this one's controversial too, but credit cards. So my thing with credit cards is obviously my stance is I'm the super no debt guy only by, you know, I only want stocks. I don't have a lot of debt. I think debt is the devil, the borrow slave borrower slave to the lender, you know, all these sorts of things when, when it comes to debt. However, I also like to think that I'm brilliant when a lot of times I'm not. So even with my anti-debt stance, um, I've done, like I've opened up a, a travel rewards credit card, <clears throat> even after everybody knows that my reputation's I don't like debt, and I tried to play like the points game where I was telling myself, you know, I have these expenses every month and might as well take advantage of them, right? If they're just going to be normal expenses that I always have, and I'm I've always been kind of a numbers guy, a math dude. I liked to think I I knew how to do a good budget at the time, so I said, yeah, well. Let me get this free interest rate. Let me let me get these free points. I fly a lot, so this this will be useful for me. So I did that, and then I maybe played the game the right way, maybe like a month or two, kind of paying it off every month like you should. And then after that, it just kind of blew up in my face, and it took me months, many months to to buckle down and 
and basically clean up my own mess. So I think when it when it comes to credit cards and when it comes to trying to play the points game, personally, I don't think most people should. There's a reason that they offer it, right? These credit card companies. Because for every one person who plays that game correctly, there's nine who don't. And so those nine other people are the ones who are funding that one person who's able to pay off their their credit card every uh every month and and you know actually make money from from doing points and travel rewards and miles and all of that. I don't know who said it. I think it might have been Dave Ramsey, but he said something like nobody's ever gotten rich um off credit card points or credit card miles, something like that. So I think that's something to keep in mind. And and when you really run the numbers, you start to see the percentages are actually pretty, pretty low. So it's like <laughs> if you really want like one, two, three percent back, why aren't you getting into a dividend paying stock and watching that price appreciate, right? So I don't know, those are my thoughts and I'm sure there's a lot of people who they all have these justifications for having credit cards. I'm not saying cut them all up. I I still keep a credit card, but that thing is like I don't know. I, I just gotta not look at it and not be tempted to pull it out. And so I, I actually closed the one that had um that had points because I didn't want to deal with that again. So now I just have my ne- my normal credit card, and I'm not like tempted to use it to to earn this or earn that. And I think I've been better off, even though sometimes it doesn't feel that way. And to be honest with you, after working at a bank for a while, you are the perfect person that we look for when we are trying to find somebody <laughs> to apply for a credit card. It's like, just you know, you could just tell when they walked into the bank that, hey, they want to play the points game. And truth be told, that's exactly what for are the people that are going to try to quote unquote, and then they'll run up a big bill. And like Andrew said you know the the one person out of the 10 that actually can manage it correctly and handle it the way it should be handled uh you know they are the ones that don't pay for it but the other nine are the ones that are paying for that one person that can play the game correctly and i'm here to tell you uh, i saw a lot of that happen in in the banking world a lot of customers would come back and you would see you know they would open you give them a five thousand dollar limit, and three months later, you look at their account, and there it is at five thousand dollars. You just, oh, you just, you know, your heart breaks because you know that they just went nuts, and they thought that they had quote unquote free money, and now they're paying you know twenty two percent on that card. And the other thing that a lot of people don't know or talk about is whenever they raise the interest rates, like they've been doing for the last few years, that affects your credit card directly and immediately. So that balance that you have that's maybe at 22.5% is now going to be at 24% or 25% or 18% is going to go up to 20%. And those one or two percents, man, that adds up real, real fast. And it could be real disheartening when you're trying to pay that off and you get bucks at it every month and you only see it go down $150. And it's uh, it's a real, real, real big, big trap. Companies know this and they market it towards people like us. And I've gotten into that game before myself and I've made that mistake as well. And uh, I did the exact kind of the exact same thing Andrew did. Once I got it paid off, I was like, okay, we're done with this. Now I can tell you a couple things uh, to give you a little bit of helpful advice on that. Um, having a credit card open is very, very beneficial for your credit. It's, uh, as long as you have three different credit lines open 
that will help your credit immensely. Even if you aren't using the card, it still helps your credit. Now, I came across this guy that I thought was kind of a brilliant idea. He actually put it his credit card because he didn't want to use it, but he wanted to keep it open to help his credit. He took a Tupperware um, container, filled it with water, put his credit card in the water, and then put it in a freezer and froze it. And I thought, (laughs) okay, first I thought, you know, that's kind of nuts. But then when I thought about it and he made the point, he said he can't use it. The only way he's going to use it is he has to thaw the thing out to get it. So he really, really needs to use it to get it. And it's a speed bump for him to not pull it out of his wallet and start swiping away. And I thought, wow, that's brilliant. And so I've actually passed that along to other customers when I was working at Wells Fargo because I thought that was a great idea. And, uh, you know, so if you can't, <laughs> if you can't be disciplined enough and you still want to have it open to help your credit, that's a little trick, you know. A little helpful to help you save yourself from yourself. That's so. That's too funny. It's pretty. It's pretty. Pretty incredible. All right, let's talk about the next one. Yeah. So the next one I wanted to talk about was student loans, and you know, not like having too much of a student loan if you're going to have a high income job. But I think there are a lot of degrees, and people are kind of realizing this now. But I remember when I was growing up going to school like this topic of student loans was never a thing it was always like you know i was in like the honors the honors classes with all the honors kids and so it was really like try to get into the most prestigious school you could get into and money was never really an object i don't know if it's because now because i'm all plugged in with the financial world or because i read personal finance blogs whatever it is or just the fact that you know I've gone through it myself and and just seen so many friends and peers go through with you know having having a lot of debt and and you know you hear about it all the time it's something that unfortunately is not really talked about much i I saw a article this was a couple months ago, but basically it was talking about this woman who had so high of a student loan that basically she didn't. I think it says she paid like a hundred thousand towards it over like a ten year period or something, and it hadn't budged more than like fifty dollars or just so something ridiculous like that. So obviously that's like an extreme case, but I think it it should be obvious if if you're studying for something and the starting salary for that career path, I think if the student loan amount is higher than than how much you expect to make in the first year, I, I think that's like too much. You don't realize it until until you graduate, and unfortunately, it's it's not thought about enough. But once you get to a part where it just takes up too much of your income, now you're you're putting back so many other aspects of your financial life that it it it's like it doesn't even. It's like you went to college to to put yourself forward financially, and now you're going one step forward, two steps back. I think I, I just kind of came up with that rule of thumb on the top of my head, but I think based on what I've seen and what I've kind of observed, it it would kind of make sense. If if you're not going to make at least that much when you graduate, why are you getting into that much debt? I don't know. That's my thoughts. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you think about the, you know, here in Wisconsin to go to the University of Wisconsin in state is $20,000 a year. Uh, that's just for the tuition. And so, 
if you're there for four years, that's $80,000 you're going to spend. And if you go and get a degree in a career that's only going to pay you 30 or 40,000 a year to start and maybe not a whole lot more after that, I mean, that's really digging yourself a big, big hole. And, you know, it's, it's not like you, you know, we're trying to talk people out, out of going to school, but I guess, you know, have, have your parents involved, have you look into what it is you're going to be doing and, you know, is it, is it really the price really going to be worth it? I mean, because that's really digging yourself into a hole. I mean, when you think about a hundred thousand dollar loan that you have to pay back, you know, your minimum payment every month is, I'm just going to throw a number out there. It's going to be 700 to 900 bucks a month. I mean, that's, that's rent or a mortgage in a lot of places. And so that's a, well, maybe not Los Angeles, but you know, the rest of the world, uh, that's, that's a really that's a nice car. Yeah, exactly. No matter where, big, where you are, that's a really nice car. That's a big, big chunk of change. So I guess that's why I would be like, we don't think about that before you start dumping that kind of money into it. Yeah. And I'm like, just kind of roughly, um, based on like what I pay and then kind of like multiplying it to, to get to that 80 K that you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're, you're about right. You're actually like underestimating. It it would be higher than like 900. Oh gosh. That's, (laughs) that's, that's crazy. And and it's like, it's not like you can't Google like, Hey, with this degree, what, what kind of an income can I make? What's my career path? Right. Like, I don't know why I never thought, I mean, I, I guess I, I kind of, I kind of did that research, but I know a lot of people didn't. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I mean, I can give you an example. One of my employees uh, is going to school right now, and she's uh, her her desire is to work for the forestry um, agency. She wants to work for the government and work and help you know preserve forests and save you know the the environment, which is a, a very noble cause. But she's also going to a local community college and is not going to be dropping a gazillion dollars to get her degree. And so she's not going to make a lot of money when she gets out of school, but she'll be able to make enough that compared to balancing out what she's going to owe for any sort of student loans is going to be much, much more minimal uh, than than what her salary is going to be. So it's going to be something that she can actually do. So, I mean, in, that, in her circumstance, um, she's been really wise about it. Let's be honest here. Your sex life is important. It helps us feel more confident and boosts our happiness. But sometimes we struggle to perform. Our life gets in the way. This is where Hims can help. With their convenient and discreet online platform, you can get help for your erectile dysfunction from the comfort and privacy of your own home. No more waiting rooms. No more awkward conversations. Just a simple, direct path to treatment that works around your life, not interrupts it. Invest in your health today. Hims is changing men's health care by providing access to affordable sexual health treatments from the comfort of your couch. Hims provides access to doctor-trusted ED treatment options such as chewable hard mints, brand-name treatments like Viagra, or generic alternatives for up to 95% cheaper. The process is simple and 100% online. No uncomfortable doctor visits. Answer a series of questions on their site, and a medical provider will determine the right treatment option. If prescribed, your medication ships to you free. No insurance is needed. If ED is getting you down, it's time you join the hundreds of thousands of trusted HIMSS subscribers and get treated. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash investing. That's H-I-M-S dot com slash investing for your personalized ED treatment options. HIMSS.com slash investing. 
Hard mints are chewable compounded products which are not approved by or verified for safety and effectiveness by the FDA. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See website for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money. Not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. And and you can build wealth that way. And, and you can put little bits right of your extra income and invest it and create another income stream. And that's a yep. lot better than paying 6 7 8% back to... Uh, Fannie and oh, what what is it? Sally Mae is that what they, it used to be called? Yeah, I don't know if they call Fannie and Freddie. Anymore. Yeah, Sally I'm not Mae sure either. Was the, was the student loan, and then I don't know. I I know I'm, mm-hmm. my loans aren't Sally Mae. They got sold to somebody else, but yeah, no, totally. It it just blows my mind. Hey, you! What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's free ebook at stockmarketpdf.com. You won't regret it. All right, moving on to the next unwise financial decision, being house poor. I think this this one kind of speaks for itself now. If you have all of your monthly income going towards a mortgage, then you're not going to have enough money to 
go out and do things. I think that's that's pretty common sense, and especially at times when speculation is kind of rampant, it, it's it all kind of coincides. It all runs parallel with each other. You'll have people who are speculating in the markets, and people who have, um, you know, you saw this with the real estate bubble with with uh, people buying second and third homes and fourth homes, and and people trying to to flip homes, and and it just kind of caught up in a craze. And so you have to be careful. Not only when you're in the stock market, not only when you're looking at investments, but also when it comes to paying those debts. Because on the one side, you know, you buy assets and those can fluctuate. When assets go down, you don't necessarily get killed by it, right? When you have a debt or a liability, whether things go up or down, you still owe that money. So something to kind of keep in mind, I think, is when things are good and the economy is booming, that's not a good time to be getting into debt. And I think that includes getting into a, a house that, that's that's taking up maybe a little more of a percentage of your budget than you should really think about. There is a time and a place for everything, but you don't want to do it when, and you don't want to outstretch yourself. I'm, I'm sure you've seen this at the bank, right? Yes. Yes. Where people would buy homes that they could quote unquote afford, but they really couldn't. I mean, it didn't allow them to do uh, because they were so tight because of their mortgage or money that they were having to put into the home because they bought a house that they had to, were trying to fix up and, you know, with the intention of either flipping it or just living, you know, living there, uh, there's just, it's a lot harder. I guess think about this too, you know, if you're, if you're, if all your money's going into the house, then you can't take trips. You can't do things for your kids because it's all tied up into, into that house. And, you know, yes, it is where we live and yes, you know, it is our castle, so to speak, but I guess you have to balance that out with, you know, what do you really want to do with your life? Do you want to just spend it all sitting in your house because that's all you can do because you're spending more than you can really afford? Or do you want to have the, you know, flexibility to do other things, to take trips, to take your kids to Disneyland, to, you know, sign them up for, you know, baseball lessons or whatever it may be. Any of those things that you can do when you have a little more flexibility, save your retirement, you know, pay off any other debt that you have. All those things, you know, are much more satisfying than, you know, buying this super nice expensive home that you sort of sort of can afford but sort of can't and it just takes away so much of the joy that i just don't think that that's a a really wise decision i want to talk about depreciating assets instead of appreciating assets so at least with a house you know that's that's appreciating so maybe you can justify as in Okay, you know, I'm paying a lot now, but at least the mortgage is fixed. I'm getting raises, so it's taking up less and less of my budget. And then that that's assets, something that should appreciate over time and over the very long term. I think we've seen, I think, uh, it's four to five percent a year for for real estate, which isn't terrible, right? That's pretty good. Yeah, so it's not bad. At least that money is going somewhere. On the flip side, when you buy like a really expensive car and those cars depreciate. If you buy a brand new one, it loses a bunch of its value when you drive it off the lot. That's, that's money that's wasted. And so a lot of times we might think of a car as an asset, but it's an asset with 
with a, a, only a certain amount of life, right? So what what you have in those situations, it's I think it's it's funny to me how somebody could spend 70 grand on a car and then spend like let's say 6 grand on a vacation, but then they felt so much worse about spending the 6 grand on the vacation than they did the 70 grand on the car. And it's because right. of the way that, you know, you're not it, it, it's just that's the way we've been trained by by the financial institutions to think about. We think about money in the sense of monthly payments. We don't think about it in the big picture. <clears throat> we see a car as like, well, I have to get from point A to point B. And while it's true, you know, you, you do, no matter if you're going to be the cheapest, most frugal person in the world, and you're going to be like, you know what, I'm going to minimize my my expenses for this car, or I'm going to I'm going to buy them cheap and not, and. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep keep buying these cheap cars as they break down. No matter which way you do it, whether you, whether you kind of go the uh, the kind of I'm gonna hold this thing long term, or I'm gonna try to try to play the game where I'm I'm really getting a bunch of cheap cars and 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 basically sucking the life the last couple drips uh, drops out of them. Right. Regardless of of which spectrum of that you're in, uh, on the frugal side you still have like a minimum amount of like, yes, this is how much you're going to have to pay to drive a vehicle. That's just something that you cannot get away from. So in that sense, it's true. However, there is a huge difference between spending, let's say 15 to 20 to 30 grand on a reasonable car and spending 70 to 90 to a hundred K on a, on a, on a car. So that, if that's like your joy and that's your thing, I think that's a hundred percent what you should do. However, it's not something that you should look at as if, well, <clears throat> I'm going to justify it as you have to drive a car or this is actually an asset for me because I can still resell it. When you look at depreciation of, of, of certain vehicles, luxury vehicles, and you think about that depreciation is literally just money that you're throwing in the fireplace. So you could have, if you want to spend that, let's say 20 grand on a car, you're going to think about you're going to lose 20 grand to, to drive this car for three years. If you're okay with that, that's fine. You know, versus, okay, well, maybe I want to take f- uh, three $5,000 trips in that same three year time span. Well, who's the most, who's, who's the more reasonable financial person? It, it, it's not going to be one or the other. It's just, as long as you're understanding when you buy these, these luxury vehicles and, and they're depreciating that much, then that's what you're spending on. So I think the the thing about it is if you're aware of what you're exactly what you're doing financially, then at least you know, okay, well, this is what I'm choosing to spend my money on versus not understanding, well, my monthly payment's only this. It's like, okay, well, if you'd have taken that difference in the monthly payment, you could have had uh, five grand for this vacation or five grand for this, I don't know, insert your, your expense, expensive kind of, luxury hobby whatever it is we we don't tend to think of expensive trips in in those terms like like people think of car payments but really when you get to the bottom line of it it's it's literally the exact same thing so keep that in mind and understand that it is a splurge i guess splurges are kind of technically unwise if if uh but it it at the same time you know it's if that's your thing, well, it's it's also fun to be unwise sometimes. But don't confuse it to think, well, I'm actually being smart or I'm actually being wise with my money when I do this. Just understand that that's kind of the reality. 
And I think those are great points. And I guess one thing that I'd like to throw out there as a kind of a, an example, not necessarily in buying a car, but um, as you guys know, Andrew and I have talked a lot about baseball and we're big baseball fans. And there's been a rash of very high signings recently with in the baseball world. The, several guys have gotten over three, four hundred million dollars to play baseball, which you can argue whether they're worth it or not. But one of the things that you can't really argue about is they're signing longer term contracts. So 10, 12, eight years, eight, 10, 12 years on these contracts. And 12 years from now, is Mike Trout going to be worth $35 million? Well, that's really the $24 question. And when you look at the depreciation of some of these guys and their abilities erode over time, and you think about you go out and you buy a Maserati, you know, yes, you may own that for eight to 10 years, but is it going to be worth the $70,000 you paid for it 10 years ago? No, it is not. When you go to turn around and sell it, it's going to be worth $10,000. So you may have gotten that $60,000 worth of joy out of that over the 10 years, but you're only going to have the $10,000 you can recoup. So it's not really an asset in such that real estate is. And it's kind of the same thing with these baseball players. You know, you look at Albert Pujols, amazing player when he was with the Cardinals, one of the best ever. But when he signed with the Angels uh, seven, eight years ago, he was kind of on the downswing. And now, you know, he's almost out of baseball and he's still making a lot of money, but he's not worth it. And that's one of the downfalls to having these large contracts. And it's kind of the same thing with these high depreciation luxury vehicles, whether it's a camper or a trailer, a boat or a really expensive car, you know, you're as soon as you drive it off the lot, it's not worth what you paid for it. And if you go into it knowing that, sure, no problem. But if you go into it thinking, hey, I'm buying this car because I can use it for work and blah, 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 and all the other things that you you know rationalize it for, then you're kind of fooling yourself because you're just getting into a situation where you're not going to be able to recoup the money that you originally spent on it. Okay, guys, uh, the next thing I'm going to segue into is payday loans. Uh, this is something that I dealt with uh, when I was at the bank, and I'm going to say it pretty bluntly. Don't ever do it. It's the biggest, stupidest mis- mistake you could ever possibly make with your finances. If you're not familiar with what these are, they are evil. Uh, these are loans that you can take X or you can take out on your vehicles. And basically what it is is you go and... I'll give you an example. I had a customer come in to me one day and when I was at the bank and said that they wanted to borrow $500, which we didn't loan because that was too small of an amount. So they decided they were going to go and do a payday loan. So they're going to take their paycheck over to this company and they would basically front them $500 off of their paycheck and then they could pay them back. Now, what the dum-dum didn't realize is, is that that $500 that he was borrowing so he could go have a party for the weekend was really going to cost him about seventeen dollars or $1,800 over the life of the loan that he had to pay back. And because the interest rates generally are anywhere from 50 to 85% on these things, and it's, it's such a scam. And it, it preys on people that are unaware and it is, you know, I, I so wish these things would be illegal and they put these companies out of business because it, it just drains every single penny of these people and it becomes a vicious cycle because you can't afford to pay the loans back, but then you need your paycheck 
to pay all your other bills. And now it just escalates and they are just so, so, so bad. And for the love of God, please never, ever take one of these out, please. That's all I got to say about that. That's, uh, that. that's a good warning. I think <laughs> I, I understand, like I, I've never personally experienced it, but I understand your vitriol towards it. And I know that you are not the only person in the finance community. There's a lot of people that hate the the payday sharks. The, you know, the oh, sharks. So, awful, think, awful, yeah. awful, if we, awful. Can, if we can keep one person from it, I think that's that's worth the whole effort of this episode. Yeah, absolutely. All right, next thing, rent to own. And so I'm talking about rent to own, like when you go to a furniture store, let's say, and uh, you don't have the money right now, you don't have any money up front, but you still want to purchase this this piece of furniture, you can kind of do a rent to own program. So I guess ironically enough, one of the stocks that I own profits off this, but you know, th- those are people choosing to make these poor decisions. So I'll, I'll just give you a list of some of the I'll talk about some of these additional fees and then and then why actually rent to own furniture and and they do it for other other pieces of retail um, too. So here's just a, a small sample of of fees that that they could tack on just as a, just as an example here: processing fees, delivery pickup fees, setup installation fees, in home collection fees, uh, which is if a employee comes to your home to collect payment, sales tax, excessive damage fees, reinstatement fees, late payment fees. I were talking about how. Um, something about like if it's stored at the at the store or something uh you get a fee too but the big thing is the way they do it is they basically take however much that that piece of furniture or that that fancy tv that you're trying to buy whatever it is they'll 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 make you do these payments and and they'll make them real cheap and either extend them really long or or just make it like super cheap right and what what happens is you you think that you're getting a great deal, but what they do is they jack up the price of that item, and so over the life of that loan that you paid them, it might not be necessarily all of the interest you paid, but the fact that they jacked up the price of it that makes you have lost out. So as an example, I'm I'm reading this off actually consumer.ftc.gov. So. That's a pretty good, reliable source. <laughs> they actually called this article "Rent to Own: Costly Convenience." Um, they gave a couple examples. You could get uh, a TV for seventy-eight weekly payments of eight dollars and fifty cents each. That sounds like wow. Okay, it's like uh, I'm buying like a pack of gum, right? Really. Um, in that same example for the way that they would kind of proportionally price these things, you could buy the same TV for $250. So over the life of those 78 weekly payments, you actually paid $700 where you could have bought it down the street for $250 if you just would have saved. So that would have been like $450 extra that you paid just because you did this program. And if you didn't do math, (laughs) didn't do the math on it, you wouldn't have realized, wow, I really overpaid for this, even though it didn't feel like I did. So they even said uh, in this website that you might want to actually use a credit card, which is kind of funny, I thought. Use a credit card if you can, rather than doing a rent to own because they just jack it up so much that, yeah, I mean, 
uh, a doubling or a tripling of how much you really should pay. Also on the retail front, and I'm going to close with this last little tip. This one shocked me. So I used to work at a furniture store way back in the day. And they have these programs where you basically can sign up for a furniture credit card and you get no interest over the life of the loan. And as long as you pay off the whole, basically you get no, it's a no interest loan. You'll pay no interest as long as you pay off the whole loan by let's say 24 months, 36 months, whatever it is. And then if, if you did not either, I think it's either if you miss a payment or you don't pay the whole thing off in that time period, then you have to pay back interest on on the whole thing. What blew my mind, and I'm really lucky I caught this and glad I did, they set the minimum payment, at least the one that I dealt with, okay? I don't know about the other ones. They set the minimum payment so that I would just barely miss paying off the whole thing. So unless I was paying extra on my payment, it wouldn't have paid it off in time and I would have gotten back interest on the whole thing. So you think they're setting a payment for you that would satisfy so you don't have to pay any back interest when in reality they I just there's just so much wrong with that and I think it's so immoral and misleading. But check those sorts of things. If you have any sort of promotion with no interest, make sure you're looking into that and making sure that you're fulfilling the terms. And because they might they might do something like that. That's just something to keep in mind with the no interest stuff. And all the other stuff. Just don't do it. Don't do it. All right, folks. Well, that is going to wrap up our discussion tonight on some unwise financial decisions. I hope you enjoyed our conversation. Hopefully, you got a point or two out of here that can help you in the future avoid making some of these mistakes. And without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety. Emphasis on the safety. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you all next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.